The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. And as we've done different prayer nights, this Impact Prayer Night has been, over the last several years, just a, such a special time. And here's this beautiful thing. 140, 150 high school students are going to go out, junior high students are going to go out and share the gospel all over our community this week. And our gracious God has orchestrated things in such a way, children are going to be saved, and they're going to be saved as answers to prayer that we pray tonight in part. So you get the opportunity to come, and for a couple of reasons, I think it's beautiful, because we need God, and we say to Him, we need you to do this work in the hearts of children. And then also that 150 students get to see many, many adults saying, yeah, our role this week is to cheer you on, to support you, to encourage you, love for you to be here tonight at six. I also want to ask you to pray for a brother of ours. If you have been at Temple Bible Church for any length of time, um, you would know Gene Martin, who's now moved to Russellville, Arkansas, to be closer to family. Gene was the missions pastor um, here before I I was the missions pastor here, and then he was an elder for many years and a faithful servant of the church. Um, I took this picture on the first trip we took together, and there is Gene sharing good news with a couple of Maasai elders in northern Tanzania. And as I was talking to his daughter this, this week, I asked, could we pray for their family? And she said, yeah, and because of who Gene is and was, we're going to do that. Gene... Um, has had kidney cancer twice, had throat cancer, and some complications from that are making it difficult for him to eat. And now his cancer has metastasized more, and he's very ill. So as we pray for our time and for impact, we're going to also pray for this great man of God, Gene Martin, and his family. God, we humble ourselves in your presence, and God, we remember that you give and you take away. And we bless your name as frail and finite creatures made by you and for you. And God, we pray for Gene and we pray for his family. God, that you would be with them and in and through these hard, hard days, that you would uphold them with your righteous right hand, giving them grace, strength for the days, and comfort and hope. God, we pray for the young people who have spent months training and praying and preparing and serving together in preparation to share the gospel this week. God, as they go out, we ask, Father, that you would soften the hearts of children and their families and our community who need to know Jesus. And Lord, may we be able to rejoice this next week and in the coming weeks as we hear of how you have drawn people to yourself and added to our numbers in our city. And God, as we look at words today, Father, I pray that you would help me um, to be one who knows and understands my own humanity and sinfulness as it relates to words and still the possibilities that are ours as we look at the gospel and how it impacts us. Lord, we need you today, and we pray you'd be with us and that you would teach us from your word, and God, the parts that are good and encouraging to hear and the parts that are hard to hear, God, let us be transformed in submission for this word of God that is breathed out from you and profitable for teaching and training and correction and reproof that we might be equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 20. 
Proverbs chapter 20, and then you want to mark James chapter 3, and then we'll look at some verses on the screen because we're going to see Proverbs has a lot to say about words. When, when I realized I was going to preach on words, it was a, a bad day for me. Gary and Dave and Tim and I had broken up this series of Proverbs together, and then Gary and I were looking at the dates and who was going to preach what, and he said, you got words, bro. And I just thought, that's awful. And if you know me, I'm assuming the people who know me are the ones laughing. Uh, I went home and told my wife, and she has this kind of singular laugh that she does when something is so ironic, it's funny. And I just said, hey, I got, I got words. Huh. That was it. And uh, I said, no, pray for me. She's like, oh, this is hilarious. So I'll just confess to you, I've had a, a miserable week of preparation as the Word of God has challenged me. Oh, I do this. Oh, I do that. Oh, I do that. God, I repent. Oh, I don't do that. God, I repent. And words are powerful things. They are the most basic form of human communication. We talk about babies' first words. Famous people are remembered for their last Words. Words have motivated people who've shaped the course of history. Words personally stated to us over and over, for better or worse, have impacted our lives. Atheist philosopher Frederick Nietzsche said, all I need is a sheet of paper and something to write with, and then I can turn the world upside down just with words. I love words. They're part of of what I use and what I do. And one of the things I I enjoy doing is listening to those that are recorded audibly and those that were made before we had audible uh, recording. I love to read great speeches. And one of my favorite was a speech delivered by Winston Churchill, really the last 180 words of the speech. The first 35 minutes, he's really, uh, in essence, he's introducing what he's about to say at the end. And the day The day is June 18th, 1940. He's before the British House of Commons. He's been Prime Minister for just over a month, and this is the third of three speeches he will have delivered. And the Battle of France is over, and Germany has won. I would love to make a French joke, but I'm preaching on words, so I can't do that today. (laughs) And most of Parliament is saying to Churchill and his cabinet, we've got to make a deal with Hitler. That's the only way we will survive as Britain, is if we make a deal with Hitler. And so Churchill gets up to speak and does so, and then part of those last 180 words, he says the Battle of France is over, and I suspect the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties, and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will still say, This was their finest hour. Britain did not make a deal with Nazi Germany. And they went on to fight the Battle of Britain, inspired by words from Winston Churchill, such that several weeks later he was sitting with his military secretary in a car, watching British warplanes fight against German warplanes over London, and he said, never in the field of human conflict has so much been owed by so many to so few. And when you think about that, because of his inspiring words, the tide of the war turned. At least in part because of his inspiring words, we today are not under the rule of Nazi Germany. Words are powerful. Powerful. 
words are powerful. And we have all, for better or worse, been deeply impacted by and have impacted others by our words. They matter to us and they matter to Solomon so much so that 1 Kings chapter 4 says he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs and 1,500 songs. And in Proverbs itself, words matter. Over 90 times we're instructed regarding how we ought to use our words. In fact, Proverbs has more to say about words than any other area of our life. It says more about words than family or money or sex, and it says a lot about all of those. Words are powerful. When you think about the power of words, when I think about it, one of the first things that comes to my mind is the first four words ever spoken that we know of, those words God spoke, let there be light. And there was light, or how about those words Jesus spoke over the friend of his grave, Lazarus, come forth. Or the words the angel dressed in white spoke, he is risen. Or those words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, go and make disciples so that 2,000 years later, people from another continent would be going to Ukraine and even going into their city to make disciples. Words are powerful. There's no more powerful word than God's word. It's true in creation, it's true in His words of judgment, it's true in redemption, and it's true in the promise of resurrection. We're told in Hebrews, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Words are powerful. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 15 There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Then if you turn back about a chapter and a half, Proverbs 18, 20, and 21, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Words are powerful, and we need help from God as it relates to our words. Why? Because we, and by we, I mean all of humanity, we struggle with words. We struggle with words. James chapter 3, starting in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire itself by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God, from the same mouth comes blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. We struggle with words. We need help from God. We need help from Jesus with our words. So what we're going to do this morning is talk about four ways that we can act in relation to these powerful words. Then we're going to talk about helpful words and then harmful words and then the final word. As it relates to words, Proverbs would tell us, Proverbs would tell us there are times to listen to words. 
their times to listen to word. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. When you hear life-giving reproof, you will dwell among the wise if you're willing to listen. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. It's interesting that the Scripture, when it speaks about instruction, it, it quickly goes to reproof, and we do not like reproof delivered to us. Our quickest intent is to respond to it, to self-justify, to tell why the other's wrong, to tell why they misunderstand, to tell why we're right, rather than listening and considering. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility. One who can listen to reproof. Humility comes before honor. There is a time to listen. There's a time to listen, and then there are times to be silent. There are times to be silent. We live in a culture of many words, and we even would mock introverts or those who maybe don't speak as much, but there is a time to be silent. There is a time to be silent. President Calvin Coolidge was known as a rare bird among politicians because he was not a man of many words. I don't know if you understand, that's a a touch humorous. He didn't speak often. He was known as silent cow. And there is a story of a couple of ladies that were aristocrats in Washington, and they were mocking how silent he was. And one of them said, I'm sitting next to him at a dinner party this week. And the other said, I bet you can't get him to say three words. So they bet a large sum of money. And the lady who was going to sit next to him thought, oh, I know how to win this. I'll just tell him. And so about halfway through the party, she looked at him and said, Mr. President, I This is kind of a humorous bet, but a friend and I bet a large sum of money that I couldn't get you to say three words tonight, and I hope you'll help me win that bet. And Calvin Coolidge stopped and thought for a moment and then empathetically said, you lose. (laughs) He was a man who understood the value of silence. See, there are times to be silent before people, and there are times to be silent before God. When are some moments we could be silent before people? Proverbs 26, 18 through 21, and then verse 28, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Why deceive your neighbor when you could just be silent? For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Why be a whispering gossip when you could just be silent? As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Why kindle strife when you could just be silent? A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Why lie and flatter when you could just be silent? Silent, Proverbs even tells us, even a fool seems wise. When he is silent, there are times to be silent before people, and then there are times to be silent before God. Certainly we should pray. We're going to talk about praying in a moment. We should talk to God, but then there are also times to be silent before God. And twice in wisdom literature, we're reminded of these times. The first is in the book of Ecclesiastes, and the second is in the book of Job. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near and listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Well, what is the sacrifice of fools? 
many words. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. And then Job, who has endured a lot and would look at life and go, why in the world has this happened to me? Why has God allowed this? Why has he brought it about? I don't understand. And then he had friends who were good friends until they opened their mouths and started challenging and telling him. He had a wife who said, curse God and die. And then in Job 38 and 39, God reminds Job a bit of who he is. And chapter 40 starts by the Lord saying to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Are you going to ask me why I am like I am? And then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice and I will proceed no further. He was silent before the Lord, and there is a time to be silent before the Lord. Now, Job did say something else, but we'll save what he said for the end of the story. See, one of the things I respect most about my wife, one of the things I love about her is that she loves silence. Way different than me. I wake up talking. I'm just ready to go. I'll wake up and... You know, the, the coffee's there and it helps, but I probably really don't need it. I, um, I've just got red caffeine running through till about 9.30 at night. Laura wakes up and, and she works very hard for silence. Now, if you know Laura and you know how she loves silence, you know how funny it is that we also have five children and two of them have at least above average words. And that's the nice way you say that when you're preaching on words. But she works hard every morning to silence herself before the Lord, to be still and listen to the Word before she speaks to God or before she speaks to people. And I absolutely love that. It might be one of our most neglected disciplines. See, with words, there's a time to listen. There's a time to be silent before people. There's a time to be silent before the Lord. And then indeed, there is a time to talk. There are times to talk to people and times to talk to God. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. There are times to give words of encouragement, words of hope, words of help, words of training, words of correction, words of rebuke, words of love. They ought to all be words given in love. And then Proverbs 31 specifically tells us there is a time to speak to people and for people. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So you might, you might wonder, if you're new to Christianity, you're kind of coming in, or you hear people in the church talk about this a lot, you might wonder why Christians call themselves pro-life. And we call ourselves pro-life because we are to open our mouths for the mute. And by definition, the unborn, they can't defend themselves. They're mute. And so we speak for the unborn. We are unapologetically against abortion. And we are unapologetically for life. So by definition, we speak for the unborn. We speak up for all the destitute. You can't be against the destitute and 
for life. The life that God wants to give is this life that's flourishing, where human beings love God and love each other. So could you imagine what it would be like if a guy is against abortion, which he rightly should be, says, I'm pro-life, but he's beating his wife, abusing his children verbally, or his wife is demeaning him. It's good to be against abortion, and we all ought to be. But that's not actually, it's an inconsistent pro-life. It's hypocrisy. Hear me. We're unapologetically for the life of the unborn. Wouldn't it be crazy if someone would actually say, yes, I'm pro-life, and they're looking at pornography, which is funding human trafficking? What an inconsistent biblical ethic that would be. So we, because the Scripture says, open our mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy, we unapologetically speak up for the unborn, for the abused, the trafficked, and the stranger and alien among us because the Word of God instructs us in this sort of wisdom. So when the world finds us, let the world find a church expressing the gospel ramifications of knowing Jesus in their lives, loving and speaking in a way that Jesus defined love, that the Scripture defined love, not how we do according to our own conveniences. So we are for life. We're for the unborn and for all the destitute. Because there's a time to speak. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver, even if it breaks the teeth of those who try to eat it. It's a fitly spoken Word. There's a time to encourage, a time for comfort, a time for hope, and a time for love. And there is a time to speak the gospel of Jesus. We're going to send 150 students into our communities to speak the gospel of Jesus. This wasn't in my notes. I didn't write it down. But as I thought about it, I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if something that is going on at Impact Club is also happening around water coolers, and the hospitals in our area, and the businesses in our area, and the workplaces in our area, and the neighborhoods in our area among adults. Wouldn't it be amazing if we, as we heard about all the children who are hearing the gospel and coming to faith in Jesus, that we loved our neighbors so well in word and deed that we spoke the gospel of Jesus. One of my younger brothers in Christ was weeping as uh, Dave McMurray, pastor of Grace Bible Church, had the students write a letter to someone who's lost. This guy was writing a letter to an older family member who's been rejecting Christ for years. And as he talked about that with me, he was just weeping, weeping for this lost brother. And one of the things I prayed for him is, Lord, may these tears water the soil of his heart and give him a passion for the lost that goes far beyond this week. So as we ask our children and encourage our young people to share the gospel, may we also, what if weeks from now we were hearing, you know, I was so inspired by those young people. I shared the gospel with a neighbor. I thought they'd never listen, but they came to know Christ. They're considering Christ. There is a time to speak. Then there's a time to talk to God. All the time. We're told to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything gives thanks 
The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And if we are in Christ, we are righteous, we are his. And if we're considering Christ and we cry out for mercy, he hears and he gives life and salvation through Jesus and only through Jesus. Do you talk to God? Do you use words to speak to God in praise and thanksgiving and adoration and confession and repentance? There are times to talk to people and there are times to talk to God. Words are powerful and, and there are two, basically two kinds of powerful words. There are helpful words and there are harmful words. Helpful words, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. There's no more helpful word than this word, than God's word. It brings help to our day. It brings help to our life. It instructs us. It makes us uncomfortable. It reshapes our ethic. It changes who we are. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. See, the wise teaching that comes from the Word of God frees people from the snares of death. These are helpful words. Again, a fitly spoken word is like apples of gold in settings of silver. There's one whose rash words are like swords thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is just for a moment. Are your words helpful or are they harmful? When Francis Schaeffer was talking about words and how we might express love for one another, there are two words that came to his mind that we ought to speak to one another, be willing to speak often. It may sound simplistic to start with saying we are sorry and asking forgiveness, but it's not. This is the way of renewed fellowship, whether it is between a husband and a wife and a parent and a child, within a Christian community or between groups, when we have shown a lack of love toward the other, we are called by God to go and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Schaefer goes on to say, this is the sort of love he believes proves Christianity true to a watching world. By this, all people will know you're my disciples, that you have love for one another, and it might be such a beautiful way to renew fellowship with somebody in this room, somebody in your home, somebody in your workplace. You may have even spoken the truth, but not spoken it in love. And there are these very simple but hard to say words, I'm sorry. I don't want to date myself by using this illustration. Some people date themselves with gray hair, but I don't have any yet. But I will date myself. I'll, I'll confess, though, it was reruns. I used to love as a kid, I would watch reruns of Happy Days. And if you're as old as I am or older, you remember Happy Days and the, this great character, the Fonz, Fonzie, Arthur Fonzarella, and there's a moment when Fonzie, the coolest guy on the show, recognizes he has done something wrong to offend someone he cares about, and so he goes to apologize. I can see the episode just as clear as a bell, and for five minutes he's just going, I'm, I'm so, 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 and he can't get it out. And he finally says, I'm sorry. And I wonder if those two simple words in, in your life, in your family, in your workplace, maybe to your children, maybe to your parents, would be a path to renewed fellowship. See, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. When you think about the words that come out of your mouth as a believer in Christ, when people hear them, would they say your words are more like a fountain of life or more like Waco water? 
no offense, Waco, but it's just bad water, right? Are your words more like a fountain of life? Are they more like Waco water? The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. In the first hour, I just got so tearful when I went to pray for Gene Martin because I thought about how this man's words have fed so many. I remember when, when Gene was handing the baton to me, he said, I'm going to be here for a month and then I'll be here as little or as much as you want me to. And I said, why don't you take three months and spend time with your wife, then come lead my missions leadership team. I need your help. And others began to say, Gene, I need your help. And it turned out that Gene, at one point after he was done working at Temple Bible Church, had 23 meetings a week on average at Temple Bible Church. He was doing more in retirement than he had done in work even, and his lips were a fountain of life. They fed many. God calls us to have helpful words. There's this verse in Ephesians Almost all the time when I read this verse, I focus on the first phrase, which is a negative. It tells us what not to do. Let no corrupt talk come from your mouth. And I focus on that, I think, in part because I need to stop corrupt talk coming from my mouth. But then there are these positive things that God calls us to do. But only such as good for building up, speak words that are good for building up. Only as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Isn't it amazing that God would take our frail, finite little words and use them to give grace to people? And we ought to use them to give grace to people. They're helpful words and then they're harmful words. Many words harm us and we tend to harm people. As I began to think about this this incident in my life came to mind where I used harmful words. And I think it was in part because this week, our daughter Maddie has been home from college and she's headed or was headed out. She left Thursday to go do missions training in Costa Mesa, California. And I was just thinking a lot about her and a lot about the past and a lot about words. And I got this picture in my mind um, as someone asked me a question and I thought, yeah, I should share this, though I hate to share it because it means it's true. In 2003, Maddie was three years old, and my wife Laura and I were fighting about something. And I can see right where I was sitting, right where Laura and I were standing, and what we were arguing about was obviously really important because I don't remember what it was. And I remember in this moment, I don't even remember what I said, but I can remember the tone of it just being so sinful and harsh and rude. And I remember seeing Laura look at me with this look that kind of said, I'm hurt, I'm shocked that you're saying that, and I will cut you, man. Stop it. She didn't say a word. And, and when I saw that look, I did what any really strong man would do. I looked away, right? But when I looked away, I saw Maddie, and I saw the look of fear and shock on her face. And just was so ashamed. I remember the conviction, the embarrassment. And immediately just began to weep. Apologized to Laura. Asked her forgiveness. Took Maddie for a ride and just said, I'm so sorry. You need to hear your daddy's a sinner. Like we are all sinners. And I, I've asked mom to forgive me and I've asked God to forgive me. And he does. That's what the gospel does for us. And I want to ask you to forgive me. Because we love each other. We forgive one another. I'm sorry. 
So as we talk about harmful words, if you're anything like me, there may be instances that come to mind, but hear me. With our harmful words, the gospel is still there. And there's good news in the gospel. There's forgiveness and hope through Jesus Christ. We speak harmful words. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. See, the harmful words we speak aren't just harmful to others, they're harmful to us as well. They're harmful to us as well. As we were talking about this verse, um, one of my friends said, sometimes one of my children calls me bucket mouth when I use my words in the wrong way. Whether I say something stupid or whether I say something rudely or something that I shouldn't have said, they call me bucket mouth, and I started laughing at that because it wasn't about me, right? But when I think of bucket mouth, I don't think of a person. When I think of a bucket mouth, I'll tell you what I think of. When I was growing up, we called these bucket mouths, large mouth bass. And what you do is you drop a weightless worm in front of them and, and it's wiggling there and they don't think it's made of soft plastic and they don't think there are little flakes of glitter inside it. They think those are scales and they're a big bucket mouth and they go and they grab it and they get hooked and they're destroyed. They are caught. Well, we don't do this with plastic worms. I hope you don't eat plastic worms. But we do this with our words. In a moment of rashness, a bait is thrown out, whether we're invited to an argument we shouldn't attend, a gossip party we shouldn't attend, some anger we shouldn't be involved in, we open wide our mouths and we get ensnared. And harmful words hurt us and those around us. See, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Harsh words stir up anger. Perhaps it's possible that for you and for me, there have been times in life when we responded to someone and didn't understand why they got so angry with us. And maybe they're just an angry person, or maybe it was because of our harsh words. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. We live in a culture that is shaped by hasty words, and we often use hasty words. We don't often use them in person. We tend to say things impersonally that we would never say in person, maybe Sometimes we've done that in a phone call. Maybe we've done it on email. Maybe we do it in social media. And what Solomon says is, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. This same Solomon who has said, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. He says, if you're hasty in your words, there's more hope than a fool for you. Well, Chase, are you saying if I'm hasty with my words, I'm like that, I'm worse than a fool? I am not saying that. Solomon via God is saying that. And I would say, like me, like me, the only right response is repent. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. One poet says, words are seeds that do more than blow around. They land in our hearts and not on the ground. Be careful what you plant and careful what you say you might have to eat what you planted one day. See, we've got powerful words and helpful words and harmful words, but what we really need is the final word. What we really need is the final word. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. See, God's word is true. And He's a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Well, what in the world does that mean? Is He a shield when people assault us with their words? Yes, but over and above that, 
Every word of God proves true, and He's a shield for those who take refuge in Him. What that means is we are out in the open and exposed, laid bare by His very Word that exposes, according to Hebrews 4.13. And our own sins are upon us, deserving of the wrath of God. And God Himself is a shield through the blood of Jesus Christ for all who would hope in Him, take refuge in Him, seek forgiveness and eternal life from Him. See, Jesus is different than all of us in that He never sinned with His heart, with His hands, or with His words. Jesus knew the power of a word, and He wielded every word He spoke for the glory of the Father. In His temptation in the wilderness, He spoke the word. When He was challenged by teachers of the law, He spoke the word. In John 7, there's this account of Him telling the people He is the living water, And soldiers are sent to arrest him. They have clubs and swords. There are many of them. He's alone and he has no club and no sword. And they come back empty-handed and their leaders say, why in the world? Why haven't you arrested him? And they said, no one ever spoke like this man. See, he's the Word. 1 Peter 2, 22-25, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, that true word, for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken, His word has come to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. See, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was creative. All things were made through Him And nothing was made that was not made by Him. And this Word made His dwelling among us. And to all who received Him, this Word gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God. And this Word was full of grace and truth. Ray Ortland says to this day, when I hear the good news of God's grace, I come alive all over again. That is how God renews all of us through the gospel message of His love for sinners like me and you. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to put new life in our hearts and new words in our mouths. And oh, how we need new words in our mouths. See, Job, he put his hand over his mouth. He said, I'm not going to speak, but that wasn't his final word. God goes on in Job chapter 40 and in Job chapter 41 to remind Job of who he is and of what he's done. It is God who gave the donkey its bray who set up the starry host. It is God who put the mountains in place. And as Isaiah 40 tells us, ways 
the waters in a balance. So in the end, Job answered the Lord. Job 42, and he says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. Job's friends, they've encouraged him. He's questioned. He's wondered, why is this happening? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? Here and I will speak. I will question you and make it known, you said. And and Job says in verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent and dust and ashes. So when God speaks the word, as it relates to our words, all of us who fail in many ways and who desperately need the gospel, perhaps the words that we would speak this morning would simply be with Job, I repent. I repent. Let's take a moment to consider if there are ways that we've failed with our tongue. Maybe it's things that we have said or maybe there are things that we haven't said. Let's take a moment to consider and then we'll pray together. God, you are the creator of all things. And you, all things hold together. You give us life and breath and everything else, and you have made us for you. And that's good for us. That's what gives us lasting joy, that reality when we embrace it. And God, we fail with our words. We set ablaze great fires with our tongues that are themselves set on fire by hell. We can't tame them. We need help from your spirit and from your word. And that's possible because of the gospel. Lord, we don't want to curse people made in your image. It ought not be that we bless and curse. So, Father, help us be people whose words are fountains of life in Christ. Help us be people whose words feed many and bring life and healing. And God, where we've been hasty with our words or rash with our words or harsh with our words or unhelpful or unkind or ungracious, God, we repent. And Father, inspired by confidence of your great love, Lord, may we be compelled to speak the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation this week. And God, may you take those words and use them for your glory to bring many to yourself. May many be added to our number. And may the people of this city stand awe or stand in awe of God because of a people of renewed words and actions. We need you for this, God. You're our only hope. And nothing is too difficult for you. So we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.